This is TSFPN.com, the Sci-Fi Podcast Network. You found the best podcast in the universe. It's Saturday, the 29th of July, 2006, and you're listening to The Secrets. Welcome to this podcast of The Secrets, a podcast for anyone who is serious about writing. The Secrets home can be found at www.stormwolf.com. For the next 15 minutes, we'll talk about writing and how to get you even closer to seeing your name on the spine of a book. Welcome to The Secrets. This podcast is all about writing and how to get the success you want. This particular podcast is the third in a series I'm calling 21 Days to a Novel. It began in an impromptu manner in episode 17, and it looks like it'll continue through episode 23. I'm Michael A. Stackpole, novelist, short story writer, screenwriter, game designer, computer game designer, with 38 published books to my credit. As I mentioned last podcast, I play indoor soccer on the weekends, and last Sunday, my team won our division championship. I scored two goals and drew the short straw, so eventually the trophy will end up here at my house. It's like this big, strange thing. But, you know, it'll be a conversation piece if anyone were to ever come over, aside from that. Uh, The Secrets Podcast is an audio companion to my writing newsletter, which is also called The Secrets. You can learn more about the newsletter on my homepage at www.stormwolf.com. Download the sample issues and decide whether it's worth a dollar an issue to focus your writing on success. Issue 56 just came out with an article that covered genre sales figures and other business-related stuff. And issue 57 will be the first part in a series, it's either going to be two or three issues, called Making Monsters, or talking about how you create the monsters and antagonists for your stories. In the last podcast, we covered days five through eight in our 21 Days to a Novel. If you've done the exercises, you've now got three characters who are all involved in the same story and setting. You know their hopes and dreams. You know what's holding them back from achieving those dreams. For the podcast, I've been using Harry, an older man who has a drinking problem. He wants to get married, so he took up playing the guitar again as a way to get out of the house and meet people. Harry also wants to stop drinking, but since playing takes him into bars, this is not working for them, for him in the way he might want. On the other hand, he's met Nicole, a hot young singer for whom he plays. He's fallen for her rather hard, but she dreams of leaving Iron City and hitting the big time, which means if she's going to be happy, she'll be wandering straight out of Harry's life. In the last podcast, we didn't go into Nicole's background, so let's play with it here. Nicole grew up a child of privilege until her father, a banker, was involved in a swindle of epic proportions. He was convicted of felony crimes, was sued into the poorhouse, and ended up being killed in a prison altercation over a pack of cigarettes. The family's trouble started when Nicole was just entering high school, and her father was dead before she graduated. She didn't get any scholarships for college, all of her old friends had disowned her, and her own mother retreated into religion, refusing to face reality. Nicole is now 23, about 20 years Harry's junior, and she jokes about leading a Cinderella life, the part anyway before Prince Charming comes along. She's worked in a variety of bars and clubs, enjoying the nightlife vicariously. Occasionally she's run into people she knew from before when they were slumming. Most didn't recognize her, but those who did were mean. They tipped poorly and they commanded her as if they were Cinderella's stepsisters. Even so, no one can deny Nicole's beauty or talent, and some of these women who used to be her friends are clearly jealous of her. 
Her dreams are to make it big based on hard work and talent and to get back where she had once been. Recovering her family's wealth is her primary focus and she looks for little else in life. She's smart, but her focus on that one thing to which she refers to as, quote, getting back on the horse, end quote, blinds her to some of the better things in life. She'd also be happy to make it big outside Iron City, just to show all the small-minded folks who hate her because of her misfortune that they're missing something. She can be bigger than they are. Her only real joy in life is singing. She's able to put all of her passions into songs and even writes lyrics. She's not showed them to anyone, for she's reluctant to trust too quickly. By the same token, she's met Harry and thinks collaborating with him might be a good thing. Still, he drinks too much, something which reminds her of her father toward the end. Subconsciously, she believes Harry may not be around for the long run. Before I go on to mention the third character here, I want to point out a couple of important things. First, I've mentioned Cinderella here, and that choice is very deliberate. All stories and folk tales have building blocks known as motifs. In Cinderella, for example, we have the evil stepmother, the evil sisters, the father who is good but clueless, the fairy godmother, and the heroine who is powerless but eventually discovers power and overthrows the status quo because of being virtuous. All of these elements or motifs are things we've learned to understand about stories since before we could read or write. They are the building blocks of stories. If you learn about motifs or recognize them in stories, you can use them to build your story into something that seems familiar and can easily be understood by the reader. Moreover, the reader will recognize the motif, often subconsciously, and will be looking at where he imagines the story will go, so you can take it to other places and totally surprise him. Second, if you look at how Nicole and her story went together, you'll see there are multiple angles of attack. We have her former friends fitting into the evil stepsister roles, so they can be trouble. Prince Charming could be played by a record executive who could provide Nicole with her big break. In a reversal of the normal order of things, he could also turn out to be a womanizer who's after one thing, and it isn't Nicole's talent. Will she see through him in time? Will she be crushed by what he does to her? We could get even more esoteric. Let's suppose that Nicole's father, who had always proclaimed his innocence, was murdered in prison because he was about to turn state's evidence against someone else. Let us further suppose that information comes into Nicole's possession that would exonerate her father. The person he died to shield offers to make her dreams come true in exchange for that information. You see, depending on the type of story we want to tell, we can begin to warp and twist facts. In talking about Nicole above, the idea of redeeming her father's reputation was never mentioned. If a blackmail and bribe plotline looks good, however, it's a simple step to take her there. Okay, we've got one more character to deal with here. That's Pete. He's a young guy, rough and tumble, works odd jobs, and rumor has it that he's been to prison. Doesn't talk much, and seems to have taken a shine to Nicole. It's not really a romantic interest, it's more like he's her big brother. The big question is why he's attached to her and helps her out from time to time. He just says he likes her, but something about that doesn't ring true. Four possibilities spring to mind immediately. First, he was in prison with her father and her father did him a good turn. Pete figures he owes her father and since he's dead, he'll pay the debt to Nicole. Second, Pete was peripherally involved in the fraud that Nicole's dad was sent up for and there's a hunk of money that went missing. 
Pete thinks Nicole knows where it is and he wants to be around to collect it. Third, the guy who had Nicole's father killed is paying Pete to watch her and eliminate her if she presents a problem for him. Fourth, Pete's an undercover cop trying to get to Mr. Big, the guy that her father died to shield, and authorities are using Nicole as bait to smoke Mr. Big out. Okay, a fifth reason. 25 years ago, when Harry had played a gig with a band, he had a one-night stand with a groupie, and Pete was the result. Pete learned of his true parentage and set out to find his father. What he found didn't impress him, and he decided to watch and help out if he could for reasons known only to him. Some of you may note that I'm playing a little light with details on Pete, and I, and I don't see him as a major character, so keeping things loose with him is good at this point in the story. As stuff firms up, I can focus on him a little bit more closely. Chances are, in writing the book, one of the five cases above will be used as a red herring to cover one of the other five. That's perfectly fine, uh, and this is the thing you do. It, it gives you some flexibility and allows the story to grow as you go along. All the material I've just gone over is what you've generated on days one through eight. Now we move on to day nine's exercise. This exercise is designed to help you develop a character's voice. You'll be working on making that character distinctive. While we'll concentrate on words, this creation of voice will bleed over into nonverbal communication. I'll talk about that briefly here, but then we'll go into it a lot more on day 11, which will be the very next podcast. The way the exercise will run is simple, and if it sounds like it was inspired by the very first CatCast podcast by my partner, Cat Claiborne, that would be because it is, at least in part. It's something you might even want to try writing out longhand, and I'll explain why in a minute. What you'll be doing is writing a letter from one of your characters to another of those characters, bringing up an issue that's been bugging him. You might never actually use this letter in your book, or even mention it. But what you learn in composing it will tell you a lot about your characters. Following the examples I've been using, I'm going to have Harry write Nicole a note. I'll go through it and break it down after you listen to it. What I'd like you to do, however, is to stop the podcast after it's done and just jot down any impressions you're getting of Harry as you listen to it. It's okay to listen more than once, and yes, I'm aware that this is not a fair test of your observational skills or my writing skills since we already know a lot about Harry, but this is going to be important. Okay, so get set to listen, you know, maybe stop it now, get a piece of paper and a pencil just so you can be jotting those notes. All right, let's go. Dear Nicole, I want you to know that I really like playing with you. I mean, I hope you know that. I think maybe you like performing with me, too. I think we have something. A bond like, you know, more than lots of folks do. I gotta tell you that I pretty much live for the time we get to make music together. Though it's really tough for me to write you this note. I know Winston is some hot record producer from L.A., and I guess you kind of like him because you're spending a lot of time with him. But, you know, there's something about him I don't like. Your friend, Candy, the one who introduced him, says I'm jealous. Maybe I am. But I hope you know I want you to be happy. I'm just afraid he's going to hurt you. I'm sure he's probably told you things like he'll take you to L.A. and make you a star. I know you can be a star. I see it. Others can, too. And he's probably told you that you'll have to lose me because I'm just not attractive to the pussycat dolls demographic. And maybe that's true. It would hurt a lot. But if that's what you need, okay, I can see it. I just want the best for you. Look, maybe what I'm afraid of is, is all on me. Maybe I'm just seeing things but I don't want you to get hurt. 
And I know you're a big girl and you can take care of yourself. I just hope I'm wrong about Winston. For your sake. Your friend forever, Harry. Okay, that's the letter. If you want to go back the podcast up for about a minute and a half, you can play it again. All right, let's start in on the letter. First thing I want you to do, however, is to describe the letter. What kind of paper is it written on? Was it folded? Was it in an envelope? Did he type it? On what? Did he use a word processor or a typewriter? If he wrote it by hand, what did he use? A pencil? A cheap pen that was running out of ink? Very nice fountain pen? Is his handwriting shaky or steady? How deep are the letters in the paper? Did he print or use cursive or both? Are there lots of crossouts and restarts? Did he start another draft and then copy it out to be nice and neat? Are there cigarette ashes smeared on it? Any splotches from tears? Any circles where a cup of coffee or glass of whiskey bled onto it? Why would you care about the answers to those questions? Because the answers tell us tons about Harry, his state of mind, and can deliver lots of information to Nicole and the reader. If the letter was carefully folded, that could tell us that Harry was wanting to impress her with the gravity of the letter. If it was a bit more haphazard, he might have been nervous. The strength of his hand tells us a lot, as well as the presence of tear tracks. All of those factors can be used to tell everyone tons about Harry without having to blurt it out. As for the letter itself, a couple of things should stand out. It's very conversational, even though it starts out with a formal greeting. Harry covers himself, clearly insecure about some of the assumptions he's making. He never comes out and says he loves her, but he intimates he likes her a lot and would be crushed if she were to leave. He even's willing to admit that he might be jealous, which is about as close as he's going to get to suggesting he's in love. He mentions obliquely his age and how it might be a problem. Now, if you want to have some fun with this exercise, you can write up your letter and have some other people read it. And you just ask them to do their best Sherlock Holmes imitation to figure out details about your characters. The point is that they should be able to get stuff right with even just the first cursory read and a lot more if they actually study the letter. In this letter, we're developing Harry's voice. It's a voice that's appropriate to someone who's been beaten down, yet has found one passion in his life, music. Okay, two, you have to include Nicole in there. He's upbeat when talking about music and playing with her or her future. He's hesitant with dealing with her about being hurt or going away. This is going to be how he acts until something forces him to, to take the confidence he feels through music and apply it to other facets of his life. So, that's day nine, the letter. Please note that nothing is resolved in the letter. Issues are raised, and that's fine. Resolution of those issues are going to take a lot more, and they're going to form the core of your book. Now, day ten is going to be an interesting exercise. You're going to write up the conversation between your two characters as they discuss the letter's content. There are a couple of angles on this exercise that will make it different. First off, there are to be no dialogue tags. You know what those are. He said, she said, he wondered aloud, she sighed. You can't use any of them. The fourth podcast in the first season of The Secrets will tell you why you don't need them, but here you can't use them. You might wonder then how you're going to be able to tell who's speaking and when. This is one of the reasons you want to develop each character's voice. If you go back to the letter, you know Harry's going to use phrases like you know, I guess, and a lot of negative phrases that begin with, I'm just not, you know, whatever. 
He's on the defensive. And even though the letter was conversational, he really had very little modern slang in his vocabulary. So, what's Nicole going to sound like? Is she going to say dude a lot and call him dog or something else? Will she use more slang? Less? Good English until she gets angry? Will she try to soothe him? Will she get angry? Will she try and shut the conversation down and will he let it drop? If you play the dialogue right, it should build its own flow and energy. It might spin off into places where you didn't expect it to go. Will Harry start to blurt out a declaration of love and then pull back? Will she press and he covers himself with a lie? Will she react to the lie and walk away? All of these things are possible. And it's too soon for a declaration of love, so you might just snip a couple of lines and move in a different direction. Whatever feels right. But you know these characters and they'll tell you where things need to go. One side point before I close the discussion of day 10. A lot of writers want to know if they should use dialect and try writing accents into words. Do you say taint nothing or taint nothing you know, with the F's instead of the TH or it's nothing? Writers all have differing opinions on this question, but I think using dialect like that is best avoided for one simple reason. It makes reading a book harder. Now, for some readers, a Hardy Boys novel is hard enough. Include dialect, and it's going to sound like a physics treatise written by Stephen Hawking. Moreover, while dialects were popular many years ago, they're not so popular anymore. By picking up slang expressions and working out realistic dialogue, you can get across the image you want to project without forcing people to read phonetically. So, write up your dialogue for day 10. It should be longer than a page, but doesn't need to run over three. You'll need to have it handy for day 11, which we'll get to next time around. And think about it, you're almost halfway there. Better yet, all the character building work we're doing in the first part of the process is the foundation of everything else. You've done the really hard work. Now we pick up speed and we bring it all together. You may not yet see how all of this is going to work, but you will. Best of all, you're going to make it work for you. This is Michael A. Stackpole for The Secrets. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit www.stormwolf.com to get your sample issues of The Secrets. My latest book is Cardomancy. It came out in February, and the mass market edition is going to be coming out just in time for Christmas. I think it gets released on November 28th, which would be the day after my birthday. So go out, buy lots of them for gifts. Um, that is the sequel to A Secret Atlas, which came out earlier this year in mass market. Uh, in case you missed that book or missed both of them, you know, go out and buy them again. Great holiday gifts or what's left of your summer vacation. Make great plane reading. This podcast also has a discussion forum at uh, www.tsfpn.com or podcastpen.com. Please feel free to come over there, ask questions, participate in the discussions about writing, and uh, share your work on the exercises with other writers. The next podcast will be the fourth in this series and will take us through day 11. That's the day for heavy-duty physical descriptions. I want to take a moment or two to congratulate the Signal podcast for being nominated for two People's Choice Podcast Awards. They're up for Best Produced and in the Movie and Film category. If you come over to tsfpn.com, we have a link to the award site so you can vote for them. They work hard and turn out a really good show. So please help them out against some very stiff competition. This podcast is copyright 2006 by Michael A. Stackpole. 
I'll be back in two weeks or so with more about working with words and writing. Until then, work hard, do the exercises, and we'll get you to that novel, I promise. <laughs>